Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 165, The Most Toys. Welcome, my most prized collection of friends, to Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we watch Star Trek. Then we talk about Star Trek. And this week is no exception. We are adding the most toys to our collection. Yes, we are indeed. So just sit there in your chair and we'll uh, just sit there in your chair. Go on and sit. We'll come back to that. In the meantime, let me let you know how you can let us know stuff. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. Uh, if you want to leave us a voicemail, we'd love that. You can give us a call, 323-522-5641. That number again, 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember, we may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log he is a collector of toys. He is also a collector of trivia. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Mr. John Champion. All right, Ken. Today's episode, The Most Toys, was written by Sherry Goodhearts. Now, Sherry was a student in New York who earned an internship with the Academy of TV Arts and Sciences. You know, the whole reason we have the Emmy Awards. Now, she bounced from Columbia Pictures to Warner and finally to Paramount for Star Trek for The Next Generation. Now, remember that whole concept because we'll meet someone else who worked his way up from an internship program. Anyway, Sherry has two more stories that will turn up on TNG. And later in her career, she focused on many children's TV shows, including Raw Tunage for Disney, which earned her an Emmy. Now, it was directed by Timothy Bond, who also did The Vengeance Factor. We hardly knew her. (laughs) And um, let's talk about some props and cool stuff in this episode. Shuttlecraft Pike. I don't need to explain that one, I hope. Yeah, explain to me why it went away so quickly. First of all, why is it so tiny? Maybe that's actually a a, a doff of the hat to the fact that he got one episode. Maybe, maybe. Well, and then another episode if you count the Menagerie. Oh, so three episodes, actually. but (laughs) Not the Menagerie. Yes, the Menagerie. Yeah. The cage, then the the Menagerie, menagerie. right. Okay, Right. right. Sorry about that. Yeah, well, they do have tiny, tiny shuttlecraft that they can use on Next Gen. They have a, a variety of sizes of shuttlecraft for that show. Yeah, but come on, and, it was Captain Pike. Uh, yeah. A two-seater? It, seriously? A two-seater? He, he got three hours of airtime, so uh, we have a little <laughs> shuttle, and we blow it up. <laughs> blow it up real good, by the way. All right. It did. It did. Now, uh, Michael Piller, we have established, was a huge baseball fan, and uh, he didn't collect baseball cards, but he started to after falling in love with the authentic Roger Maris card that was used on set. More about that in about two seconds. Now, part of Kivas Fajo's collection, uh, we have Dali's The Persistence of Memory painting, the one that uh, has the melting clocks in it. That painting has been at the Museum of Modern Art in New York since 1938, donated anonymously at the time. Uh, We have the Roger Maris card. We have the Mona Lisa. uh, They mentioned Starry Night by Van Gogh. Um, So about that Roger Maris trading card, the rarest version of it from 1962 would set you back more than $20,000 today. But don't worry, there are many variations uh, at this time which cost a lot less. So if you're in the market, you can get one for cheap. Um, Picard's Shakespeare quote is from Hamlet but you probably knew that, Ken. And uh, we have a mention of the USS Grissom. Now, we were introduced to the Grissom in Star Trek III. That was the ship that David Marcus and Savick uh, were stationed upon. And um, we talked about how it was named after my favorite of the Mercury 7 astronauts, Virgil I. Gus Grissom. Uh, But we have to assume that these are two different ships named Grissom. Um, I believe that there was a Star Trek encyclopedia that said that this Grissom is another Excelsior class because, as we've seen, they just can't get rid of those Excelsior class ships. Now, the character of Kivas Fajo was named after Lolita Fajo. Lolita worked first as an assistant to the executive producer in the early seasons of Next Gen, then worked her way up as a pre-production associate. She will continue on, and no doubt we will hear her name again as we go through the multiple episodes and multiple series to come. Uh, She is seen very often these days at conventions, acting as a coordinator of sorts for the talent you see coming and going. 
Now, sadly, we can only talk about the character of Kivas Fajo and the actor who played him if we give some of the uh, tragic background here. That role was originally cast with David Rappaport, and I was a huge fan of his as Randall from Time Bandits. He's the leader of that little group. Uh, Rappaport shot a couple of days of footage as Fajo and then attempted suicide over the weekend break during production. He was recast, and even more tragically, Rappaport succeeded in taking his own life a few weeks later, only days before this finished episode would air. Now, footage of his performance was saved, and it actually exists as a fully produced, fully edited segment on the Blu-ray edition of Season 3 of Next Gen. There are three full scenes of his that you can watch, and, and it's really nice what they did. They intercut it with the final footage that we have of the other actors in those scenes. So it's very uh, it's a nice little tribute to uh, David Rappaport. So the actor who did play Kivas Fajo when the role was recast was Saul Rubinek. Now he happened to be in L.A. and was friends with Timothy Bond. What was going to be a set tour led to his appearing in the episode. Now, Rubinek has a massive resume that we'll never be able to do justice here. He guest starred on shows like The Equalizer, Frasier many times. Curb Your Enthusiasm is Dr. Funkhauser. And he was one of the stars of Warehouse 13, on which more than a few times he was paired with guest star Brent Spiner. Now, Nehemiah Persoff plays Toff. Uh, he immigrated from Jerusalem to New York with his family in 1929 when he was about 10 years old. He worked on the Broadway stage, took some time away when he enlisted in the Army in World War II, and then returned to a career in theater and eventually film. He's the uncredited taxi driver in On the Waterfront for Brando's famous I Could Have Been a Contender scene. He appeared on Gunsmoke, Playhouse 90, The Untouchables, The Man from Uncle, Mission Impossible, and just so many more. Movie appearances include Some Like It Hot, An American Tale, and Yentl. Finally, Jane Daly, Varia. Jane is from Philadelphia and started out with roles in a handful of horror films before jumping to TV. She was a guest star in L.A. Law and Moonlighting. That's for you, Ken. Thank you. As well, you're welcome. As well as Beverly Hills 90210, Soap Family Ties, and more. She was also in Mission Impossible 3. I, by the way, I'm going to claim uh, Soap and Family Ties as well. Oh, you got it. They're all yours. <laughs> A sentient android is not a toy. Prologue. This week's mission has the Enterprise securing a shipment of hytridium to treat the tainted water supply at the Federation colony on Beta Agni 2. Data has been sent to a trader's ship to pick up the hytridium since using the transporter is far too dangerous. He's about to leave with the last load on a shuttlecraft when he is asked to digitally sign a manifest, but the pad fights back. An electric shock courses through Data, rendering him unconscious. The next thing we see is the shuttle heading toward the Enterprise when it suddenly explodes. Act 1. So, Data's gone. That seems to be the reality sinking out on the bridge. The other concern is getting the hytridium where it needs to go, and there is only just enough remaining. From the other ship, the traitor, Kivas Fajo, hails Captain Picard. They have no idea what happened either, but Fajo will share any sensor information with the Enterprise. Away they go to Beta Agni 2. Now about Data, you didn't really think he was dead, did you? The android finds himself regaining consciousness in an unfamiliar room. In walks Kivas Fajo and his associate, Varia. Fajo is beside himself. He's treating Data like a rare and precious jewel with a hearing problem. Data realizes he has been kidnapped, made part of a collection, whereas Fajo sees what he has done as high praise for Data's uniqueness. There is no escape. The walls are impenetrable, and Fajo himself is protected by a kind of personal force field. See also Star Trek the Animated Series. Having a look around the room, there is art, Technology, precious, one-of-a-kind items, and data is to take his exalted position on a chair in the collection. He would rather not, much to Fajo's chagrin. Data sees it for what it is, captivity. But Fajo is distracted by a call for his next deal. He couldn't care less for data's platitudes about living things and freedom. Act 2. 
With Data gone and presumed dead, Wesley Crusher and Geordie LaForge take to the task of cleaning out his quarters. All the things that Data collected, his violin, books, medals, even a hollow simulation of Tasha Yar, are there. They can't believe he's gone, especially LaForge. He literally can't believe what he saw, that Data could be part of an accident like that. In Fajo's collection room, Varya appears with a change of clothes for Data and some advice. Seriously. You should do what Fajo says. He can reward you or punish you, and the punishments are brutal. So says the scarring on her face. Vario's pain, the fact that she is captive too, may just be an advantage that Data needs. Meanwhile, with the Enterprise speeding toward Beta Agni 2, Geordi is still worked up about the things that don't fit with Data's death. He tells Captain Picard and Riker that there's no way Data would make mistakes. Picard is sympathetic but he reminds Geordi that he's got a job to do. Some things may not have an answer. Moving along, looks like Worf is about to get that big promotion he never wanted. He'll take over Data's position at Ops. And no time like the present to remember Data with some Shakespeare as we sadly fade to commercial. Act 3, Fajo drops by to see how Data is doing and also engage in a little more antagonistic tete-a-tete. He questions Data's role in Starfleet, in which he learns that Data can apply deadly force in self-defense, but he is not killed, nor would he participate in murder. That's all well and good, but Fajo is here to break down another of the barriers between them. He wants Data out of that Starfleet uniform and Starfleet mindset and into something more casual. Data won't comply, but no worries. Fajo replicates a glass of acid, which he splashes onto Data's uniform, warning him that the cloth will completely disintegrate in seconds, so he's got a choice to make. Data looks down despondently at the uniform, which now has an ugly black corrosion on part of it, and might dissolve if we waited here for a very long time. On the Enterprise, Geordi is losing sleep over the whole Data thing, literally He's tossing and turning and awakens to the flight recorder track still in his head. Maybe this is a clue? The next day, he invites Wesley to listen to the recordings of Data's trips. They are all exactly the same, except for the last one, in which a tiny piece of inconsequential communication wasn't there. It's not like Data to leave out anything, and it's not like Data to not report a mistake. Worf, meanwhile, has been adjusting to the new job, in typical Klingon fashion, he is holding back any emotional strain of taking over for a dead crewmate now for the second time. In typical Deanna fashion, she's bothering him to get to the heart of what he's feeling. He doesn't really seem like a guy who wants to talk about it. Big surprise there. Time for Data to shine. Fajo has invited over a fellow low-life trader, collector, Toph, to have a look. It goes not as planned, when Fajo shows off his latest acquisition, Data does nothing. Not a movement, not a peep. Toph is less than impressed with the only sentient android. This causes Fajo to unleash a mild punishment, a blast from his force field that knocks Data to the ground. He leans over the stricken android and whispers ominously, You'll regret this. Act 4, finally! We've made it to Beta Agni 2. Time to tech the tech with the high and the contamination from the trisanamidina. Probes are launched. Everything is looking good. Really good. No geologic upsets. The contamination is dissipating way faster than they thought. Better send an away team to investigate. On the other side of who knows where, Data is visited by Fajo, who has a new psychological game to play. From a locked safe... Fajo produces an Illudium PU-36 space modulator, uh, scratch that, a Veron T disruptor, a weapon so nasty it has been banned by the Federation. Fajo has four of them. Now, Data knows that Fajo won't destroy him. Data actually has value. Enter Varia. Fajo aims the weapon at her head, but before he can discharge it, Data calls to him. In order to save her, Data has taken his seat among the other collectibles. The away team on Beta Agni 2 finds no more contamination, lightning fast for a natural disaster. Except this wasn't natural. By all indications, the tricyanate has been deliberately placed here. And isn't it strange that the hytridium just happened to be available from Kivas Fasho and in just the right quantity when the Enterprise needed it? Curiouser and curiouser. Riker reports the findings to Picard. 
and a biographical search that should have been done literally hours ago reveals that Fajo is in possession of some truly extraordinary things. A course is set for the site of the shuttle explosion. Extrapolating where Fajo could have traveled in the time he's been away, the Enterprise casts a wide net, looking for where he might be. Data isn't resting in his attempts to break free. He's trying to get that Veyron T disruptor from the safe and not succeeding. In again walks Varia. The whole gun-to-the-head thing might have given her a change of heart. She offers to help Data escape as long as he takes her with him. They grab the weapon and head to the escape pod. Act 5. The Enterprise has heard back from a Federation outpost. Faja was in the area, and now they've got a new course set to intercept. The escape plans are coming along. Varia directs Data to the pod while she warns that an alarm will sound as soon as she initiates their countdown. Sure enough, the alarm blares and a couple of crewmen jump in to interfere. Varya has one inside of the disruptor, but she's sidelined by another. Data jumps out to help, breaking up the fight, but in the melee, the disruptor hit the ground. Who should walk in now but Fajo himself with his own Veranti disruptor? He sees what's going on and disintegrates Varya. When Data sees this, Fajo points the finger. It's your fault. As Fajo walks away, Data realizes the weapon on the ground. He picks it up and aims it directly at Fajo. Oh, sure, Fajo taunts. Data won't be able to pull the trigger because that would be murder and his programming won't allow for that. As far as Fajo is concerned, Data will go right back to his chair in the collection room or else Fajo will go on killing members of his crew and that blood will also be on Data's hands. If only Data could feel the rage to pull the trigger and kill Fajo, then this would all be over. Data raises the weapon and takes aim just as a transporter beam locks onto him. Cut to Chief O'Brien, who tells Riker he's got the android, but oddly, there is a discharging weapon caught in the beam. Narrowly missing the Make Person Younger button, O'Brien hits the Turn Off Weapon button, and Data arrives safely on the Enterprise. Hey, Data, Riker says... About that weapon that was going off while we beamed you up? Oh, that. Weird, right? Okay, see ya. Moments later, Kivas Fajo is in the Enterprise brig, and Data comes to pay a visit. Fajo is kind of worked up, assuming that Data has come to gloat or look for an apology or some such thing. No, not really. Data has come with the news that Fajo's possessions have been returned to their rightful owners, about which Fajo assumes Data must take great pleasure. No. No pleasure is taken in it at all. You see, Data is an android. He doesn't feel anything. The end. I got a question. Yeah. How many copies of the complete works of Shakespeare do you think Picard has? <laughs> well, you see, Ken, when you're an obsessive collector and you'll stop at nothing to have every version of something. I am thinking, here's what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking he is the worst secret Santa <laughs> on the Enterprise. Like, people see that yeah. they got him. Well, actually, you wouldn't see that you got him, though. You would just know the second you open it. I was like, oh, look, the complete uh, works of Shakespeare. This will go great with the other five copies of the complete works of Shakespeare that somebody gave me. <laughs> I'm sure he consults with a computer. You know, oh, computer, replicate something for somebody. I need to give a gift. <laughs> right. Computer's like, so it's the computer that's obsessed yeah, with the, yeah, the, the complete works like, of Shakespeare. Okay. It's like, again, okay, I've made a thousand of them. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, you know, last week we praised Dwight Schultz's performance, and this time I'll praise Saul Rubinak. He is wonderfully creepy, mercurial. He's grounded, but still way over the top in the role. He got better and better each time I watched it. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of his normally, but in this, honestly, and and you're going to hear me sing his praises a few times in this episode. Mm -hmm. He could have been Q. <laughs> yeah, I honestly yeah. think he could have been cute. I loved his dismissiveness of the dolly. Absolutely. Thought that was like a, just like a great moment there. His anger over the Andorian interruption was reminiscent of uh, John Goodman and the Big Lebowski. Mm. You know how he would go from from like yelling his head off to man, eh, whatever, <laughs> and vice versa. I mean, he was just he was insanely great uh, in this episode. And yeah. uh, like I say, get used to hearing me say that throughout this yeah. episode. Yeah. Um, Ken, if there are things that can't safely be put through a transporter, then let me just say that I do not want to be put through a transporter. Ah, well, there's one reason. How about if you can deactivate anything in a transporter? <laughs> I don't want to go through a transporter. He's got a cell phone. Deactivate it. <laughs> yeah, no. He's breathing. Mm. <laughs> okay, let him. 
Yeah, right. Hey, where was Deanna during all of this? Yeah. Like, I wasn't <laughs> expecting uh, uh, he's hiding something. Nope. She's totally good at that. Yeah, she should have not been in this episode at all, honestly. No. Because, okay, like, even if she wasn't on the bridge when the shuttle exploded, mm-hmm. she should have, like, I mean, she should have felt, you know, something happen on the bridge and come a-running, right? Yeah. I-, I know the answer for why was she not there when they talked to Kivas Fagio was, you know, because then she'd have known he was hiding something and we wouldn't have a story. But probably she should have been off the ship if this show's going to work. I know she's there for the wharf thing, but, you know, to not be there for the bridge crew, I mean, it was just... Oh, I had an issue. <laughs> right. I don't know if you can tell. <laughs> yeah. 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 Boy, that's uh, it's a little odd. Um, what about that Kivas Fajo? He collects Star Trek stuff, so I can relate. <laughs> and he and yet, I get along great. And yet he let a shuttle named after the first captain of the Enterprise be destroyed. Oh, huge mistake. I know. I think so, too. Yeah. They should have made like a cardboard version of that. Sent that out. Replicate that. <laughs> Send it out. Play the audio track. Yeah, there you go. It's too bad. Um, I know that we're going to spend a lot of time in this episode talking about Data and his emotions, but just I want to point out an acting moment because that's kind of one of the things we do here. Mm-hmm. When Fajo is taunting Data at the end, oh, if you only had anger, oh, if you only feel the rage over Varia, that is such a great Brent Spiner moment. Watching yeah. him process that, take in all the information. He's got this look on his face as he – the, the circuits are firing, as one might say. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a really standout point there. It is fantastic, although I will mm-hmm. say I'm not scared of the Veyron uh, T disruptor. Doesn't, no? It doesn't seem that terrible. I mean it's – they make it sound like this is the worst thing that could possibly happen to you, but I think mm-hmm. the phaser in Wrath of Khan was about as bad. Yeah. It, it took yeah. Varya maybe like three seconds longer to die than it took Captain Terrell. Right. right. I, I did have a note about that because I wondered, um, it, it, is a phaser really humane? The Veyron T disruptor, cruel and unusual. It seems to do the job in just a few seconds longer. Yeah, exactly. And Same it, result. It's not like you can talk to the people like, so was that worse than being killed by a different phaser? Right. Right. How do you know? It's just, oh, no, no, this is particularly terrible. How do you? Well, it says on the box. Oh, okay. (laughs) If if that's what the show were actually about, we could probably go down a a long and terrible rabbit hole talking about uh, capital punishment and and stuff like that. But we're not going to do that. Yeah. Well, any phaser, I think basically any phaser that ends with you like bursting into flames and disappearing. I'm going to put them all at the same level of of bad. Sure. All terrible. Yeah. Yeah. If, if you see that coming, you do not have time to write down how terrible that is. <laughs> Nor do you have time after because... No, no. Well, maybe you do someplace else after, but certainly not here. Yeah. Uh, the plan at the center of this episode, I'm going to say that kidnapping a Starfleet officer is probably a bad idea no matter what. Mm-hmm. Uh, and kidnapping Data is probably the worst idea possible. He, he's smarter and stronger, and he's got all of Starfleet behind him. It really was just a matter of time before the Enterprise came back to find Fajo. And even if the Enterprise didn't, Fajo was making stops at a bunch of Federation outposts to do some trading. Good point, that. You know? And he's not being careful about who he tells, oh, I've got this former Federation officer as part of my <laughs> right, collection right. now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I did kind of wonder, though, I, because I'm kind of fascinated by the idea now that um, there is great missing art. In the world, and there have been art heists recently. Yeah, you know, within the last few years of major pieces, and I always kind of wondered in the back of my head, okay, who who commissioned the heist, mm-hmm. and what do they do with that piece? Because all you can do is have it in your private collection. Right. That's amazing to me. That that's fascinating to me. That that you you know, uh, not that Bill Gates is a bad guy, but theoretically, you could go to a guy like Bill Gates's house and you could just be like. Oh, yeah, uh, I've got the real Mona Lisa. <laughs> the fake is hanging in the Louvre, you know, because I'm uh, uh, an evil James Bond level bad guy. You know, right. That's the kind of thing that would happen. And, and they could not actually tell anybody who would spill it or they would have you killed. Well, we do. I mean, uh, we I guess we know about the eugenics wars. We don't know how bad they actually you know hurt the planet. We're given to understand, though, there's a lot of social unrest between where you and I sit right now and where Captain Picard sits a few hundred years from now, right? Mm-hmm. Plenty mm-hmm. of time for artwork to disappear. Oh, yeah. 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 So it's not even like heist level stuff at that point. It might just right. be, 
Yeah, well, we were trying to keep warm, and we didn't want to burn Starry Night, but we needed the wood of the frame. <laughs> right. So we burned yeah. that, and then we rolled up a... Yeah. There's a map, actually, on the back of Starry Night now, but... Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, some good lines here. You know, we, we really gave Riker a lot of grief last week for uh, for being a, a jerk. Yeah. To put it simply, but he, he's got a great line here. For an android with no feelings, he sure managed to evoke them in others. He, yeah, thank you, Riker, for being, you know sensitive yeah it's right up there it's right up there with the with the line that came from Jordy though what was it uh, those are some of the highest awards in Starfleet and Jordy says something like yeah not bad for a for a pile of walking memory cells huh yeah right really right. really yeah, really yeah oh I'm sorry yeah. too soon yeah <laughs> right right um, and Fajo has an interesting line there about data that might call into question some of what we've talked about Starfleet what a marvelous contradiction a military pacifist Mm. You know, yeah, he, uh, that's maybe something that we've discussed before with uh, the whole mission of Starfleet that uh, sometimes is contradictory. Um, I, I, I like the scene with Fajo stunning Data and, and knocking him over, Data playing this game of, uh, you know, passive resistance. Yeah. Uh, but I would have liked to have seen the dinner conversation between Data and Mr. Toph, at, you know, just sitting around at the table and Toph asking and Data just saying, no, I've been kidnapped. I'm captive. I'm here against my will. Again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he held a gun to this woman's head. Yes. And that's why I'm here. You're not, you're not wrong about that. Although, to be honest, I, I really couldn't get Mr. Toph off the screen fast enough. Really? Did, yeah. did you did, did you like the uh, the finger and the nostril and w- one of his many nostrils? I was not a fan of that, nor was I a fan of the big metal <laughs> thing sticking out of his nose. No. Yeah, I did. I've been like, I, I do kind of want to know about that society. <laughs> I, I the know, society that's like, you know, what we need we need like a big like a like wrap a ribbon around his head and then shove. Yeah, no, I just <laughs> no, no. Yeah, no, thank you, um, Jordy. As we were talking about before. Uh, now, he has the least comfortable bed in human history. Mm-hmm. So let's describe this scene. He's in uniform above the sheets. He's, he's even got his boots on, right? His pillow is a hard three-foot-long rectangle. <laughs> it makes no sense. Like, dude, relax. You yeah. seriously need to relax. Well, if you remember, he didn't want to relax. No. So this no. might be this might be his passive resistance or, you know. <laughs> like <I'm, laughs> oh, you can make me go to bed, but you can't act because you make me be comfortable and rested, <laughs> right, even though you right. told me to. Hey, I have a trivia question actually, and I probably should have asked it before we started because you may not know the answer, and I may have to edit this part out. Okay, is Bill Tice still doing uh, uh, costumes at no. this point? Oh, oh, at this point, yeah. uh, no, it, it had already switched over to Bob Blackburn. All right, because no, there, there was still a lot of Tice's. Yeah. Uh, Influence, uh, influence. Yeah, yeah it had a little bit of worked with. Yeah, had 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 some of that feel uh, to his stuff. Mm, I, I mm-hmm. meant to ask you earlier, and so good that we didn't bring it up in trivia because no, <laughs> right, right. Um, there is a technical thing that I want to mention here. That turbo love scene yeah. with Diana and Worf. So we have a tiny hint of the corridor wall as the door is closed. Then the camera slowly tracks around them, really, mm-hmm. really slow, and no more cuts. And when the doors open, we're on the bridge. It's hmm. really well done because the way that set is laid out, you've got a turbo lift, you know, way, way, way on one end of the set. And you've got a turbo lift, you know, with the doors there on the bridge. And I was thinking there are only two ways to do that. They could have done it with a green screen, but I don't think they did because it would have been really obvious and it would have been too expensive an effect for like two seconds. Mm-hmm. Or they probably did a partial wall where they brought in a partial wall of the hallway uh, of that corridor exterior and then move that out of the way. And then when they open the doors, there's the bridge. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a nice shot. It, it gives depth and size to the enterprise. Sure. Yeah. I was honestly too busy listening to the sound on that one. Oh yeah. Because it moves one direction and then changes direction. Yeah. And that's what I was paying attention to. I'll have to go back and watch that shot now. Uh, that said, I don't buy Wharf at ops. Mm-mm. <laughs> Maybe no. I so O'Brien, right? Yeah. Okay. I thought so too. Yeah. Like what is it? Oh, I was thinking Worf. I was thinking Worf too. Why? Well, he's pretty much the only other officer on the bridge. Yeah. <laughs> he's the only guy in my direct line of sight nine <laughs> hours a day. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I think I remember Duffy's name from last week. I mean, there are very few officers whose name I know, Jean Luc. I'm sorry. <laughs> it is Jean Luc, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> Billiam? Is it Billiam? I can't remember. 
Um, there's one other thing. I'm trying to remember a scene where Worf and Data are particularly close. Mm, or is this okay. another one of those things where it's like, oh, well, he's a guy I see all the time. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, you know, there, there's Poker Night and there's Poker Night. There is Poker Night. That's right. I forgot about Poker Night. I forgot they were both there for that. Okay. That, okay. That, I, that's enough for me, honestly. Okay. That's enough for me because okay. otherwise I was just like, I don't even remember a scene where they say more than two words to each other. But I forgot mm-hmm. about Poker Night and the long may it wave. A Veyronti disruptor is not a toy. start by saying I, I'm a little nervous bringing uh, this topic up because what I don't know about this topic mm-hmm. uh, is much. And I don't want to say anything that's going to sound like I'm being um, flip about it or there was something that came up for me about Varya in this episode. Uh, she's a victim of domestic violence, right? Mm-hmm. All right. There you go. Yeah. That's about yeah. that's about really all that's about, that's almost all I can think to say about her. I mean, I would feel better talking about her if things ended well for her. If, yeah. if we could end the if if we could end this with the message, you can break free of this. You can get out of this. Instead, she's an abused partner for whom things end poorly. Which yeah. I mean is is honestly, sadly, probably more true to life than the stories of oh, she's an abused partner who ended up you know overcoming that. I mean, certainly we do hear those stories too, and 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 it's wonderful that there are organizations helping for that. Right. Um, I had a hard time though figuring out her motivation until I saw her in that light, and and in that light, she's absolutely tragic. It was weird because she came in. I thought they were partners. I thought they were. I thought they were. You know, in cahoots. Yeah. Um, because she comes in and she's smiling. She's smug. She is as smug as Fajio is in the beginning of it. Yeah. And it's only later that we realize, oh, well, she's that smug because she's surviving. I mean, basically, it seems like. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I, I, I didn't really think of her the same way until just now, just having this conversation. But it, it totally makes sense. And even if that's something that they hadn't really, truly fleshed out for that character, mm-hmm. um, I was kind of thinking of her, and again, this is just sort of a total surface read on it, but, you know, at its worst, when you have the, the victimized Bond girl, the, the Bond woman, like um, uh, Maude Adams in The Man with the Golden Gun, same same relationship, you know, she is being used by him to do things, but she is still in cahoots it, in, in that respect, she she is a victim in that respect, um, and then meets a tra- tragic end because she has to. You know, there are so many Bond characters like that who have to meet a tragic end because they have to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I definitely can see her like that, and um, and it makes her motivation to help Data more believable. You yeah. know, at, at that point, it's not just the gun held at her head; it's fourteen years of being in this horrible abusive relationship with no way out like right. literally no way out until there's somebody who shows up that's stronger and smarter than Fajo. well and yet and this is the thing that's always so frustrating i mean you'll hear people say i don't understand why you stay with that person i don't understand why you stayed with that person or any of those things and this is not mm-hmm. the first time that Fajo has gone to sleep this is not the first time that she's known that she has access to this incredibly horrible disruptor yeah, it's it's not until somebody else shows up and says, you know, we we can do something different, or maybe at least makes her think that there is a possibility of something different. And this is where I don't want to talk too much more about that because I know that I don't know anything about such relationships, and yeah. I, and, yeah. and I don't want to make it sound like oh, why doesn't she just? Because I know that's something that you do hear all the time. Why do you why do you stay with that person? Why do you let that happen? Right. Well, I, well, having absolutely no knowledge of it myself, I I don't want to be the person who says, "Why didn't you just leave?" Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's not a matter though. I mean, it's not like a savior came in. I mean, mm-hmm. Data did not come in to free her. <laughs> she mm-hmm. she's like, by the way, I know how to get out of here. And if you if you promise to take me with you, I'll, I'll go ahead and make that happen. Yeah. And it's too bad that I mean, I think I would have actually had more respect for the episode if, if she had somehow gotten away. Uh, right. I mean, it does make him sort of a 
a much more reprehensible character, certainly, which is kind of odd because he's a reprehensible character all the way through. Wonderful to watch, but reprehensible nonetheless. But I think you have to see the extents to which he goes. Yeah, I, I think I think that's part of it. Like, you know, he's sort of goofy and he's terrible, but he's goofy. But then when you see him actually pull a trigger, <laughs> then it's it's even worse. Wow, I'm getting this more and more though because now that you say that, also, but the first thing he does is blame somebody else. Mm-hmm. She was asking for it. Yeah, that's what Fajio yeah. says. She was. You knew what the you knew what the results of disobedience were, and so did she. Right. Not his fault. I mean, never mind the fact that he held the disruptor, he pulled the trigger, he was the one who kept them all hostage. Mm -hmm. No, 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 that wasn't him that actually caused the the pain. That was was her and Data. Yeah. Well, let's talk about Fajo a little bit. Um, I I get the collecting bug. (laughs) I get that in a big way. Um, (laughs) I think... uh, But but here's what's interesting about it. I I think that a part of us all, we, we like to have things that we can point to that show something about us. Hmm. You know, you and I were having a conversation one time under a totally different context about um, physical media, how I, I still like Blu-rays and DVDs. And you're like, nope, I want it all digitized and so I can have it in my computer. And, and I said, well, you know, but I, I like to have that thing on my shelf hmm. that I can point to and say, I like that movie. And maybe somebody comes over and they go, oh, you, you like movies and you like that movie. And it, great. So then we kind of relate in that way or maybe it's a, a picture uh, something hanging on the wall right maybe, yeah that, that's something that has value and meaning to me so then we can talk about it the problem here is that Fajo is using his collection as a sense of power over others and, and that's what I thought was interesting about it that sense of awe that others get when they walk into his room that's really what he's after right he, you know he's not necessarily after the object itself we talked last week a little bit about how Reg Barclay was not intended as a slight against Star Trek fans. And this time I can't help but come away thinking that someone overheard a fan or me at a convention <laughs> one time <laughs> arguing the relative merits of various collectibles. You know, the, the discussion between Fajo and Toph is funny because it's so real. It's like, oh, yeah, that figure, I've got four of those. Oh, yours has pearls on it? No, the Ferengi did that because they're trying to drive up the value. I mean, that's that's something I've heard, not that particular line, but that kind of thing at a dealer table. Oh, starting back many, many years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he reminds me, there were two characters that, um, Fazio reminded me of in that respect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trelane for some reason. Oh, sure. I got, sure. I got Trelane off him, but also, uh, the, the, the toy collector in toy story too. And that's mm-hmm. not, a, that's not a difficult one to make, obviously, but very much uh, that was called to mind uh, for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So this episode all ends with a mind-blowing piece of information about Data. So we've contended before that he has emotions. Yes. But he just either doesn't know how to use them or to use them correctly or he doesn't understand them. And now, Ken, we have an android who can kill and is fully aware of his ability to do so. Hmm. And I was wondering if we could logic our way through the situation, given Data's respect for life and only killing in self-defense. He watched Fajo kill Varya. Was Data emotionally invested in Varya and, and her plight? So that, that's one question to lay out there. Did he assume that Fajo would kill again, given the chance? And he did say he would. Fajo did say, I, I will keep killing this crew. You know, that guy, you, <laughs> which was a great moment. And he runs away. Um, <laughs> Maybe him. Yeah, right. <laughs> right, right. So, so was there a better alternative, uh, such as when everybody got worked up about Riker killing Utah? You know, kind of re- reminded of that. Uh, and then I was reminded of something else. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. I think I've heard that somewhere before. Mm-hmm. Fajo taunts Data with anger, rage about killing him. And Data still pulls the trigger. So did Data give in to the dark side? Did he feel anger over Varya's death uh, or over his own captivity or over the cycle that Fajo would perpetuate? Um or was that the logical decision to do? Now, Fajo seemingly made Data feel bad about being an android. And that seemed to be the worst thing of all to Data. Hmm. It, it was the taunt of, of Fajo saying, you can't even feel this. 
So there's a whole lot going on there, which is why I really love that scene. I really love just watching Brent Spiner's face during all of that, the, the android who doesn't feel processing all of this because it seems like there is a lot going on there and it also seemed to me like you could work this out in a number of ways you could walk what you could walk this out to its logical extreme conclusion but you could also say that the worst thing in the world to data is being emotionless not being more human-like and fajo pushed that button hmm i don't know <laughs> I'm getting. T- I'm honestly, and I never thought I would say this, but I'm getting tired of the whole "does data have emotions" discussion uh, really? because he does. Well, uh, well <laughs> hang on. I, I know you. I know you've got more to say about this. But, yeah, but but hang on because I I think that this episode, like mm-hmm. I, I agree with you, like the the programming is there for emotions, but I right. think up until now we've not really had a good expression of data is struggling with that like they're there they're underlying but he doesn't know what to do with them he doesn't know how to process them now we've had a moment where data had to process them you see i'm not sure i'm not sure that i agree that and had anything to do with emotion when he did the killing though yeah the the thing that tells me in this episode that he has emotion is um the hologram of um oh Woman oh, the, uh, yeah, back behind the horseshoe. Yeah, she, uh, she stood back there. And, angry yeah. a lot. Yeah, mm-hmm. came back for one episode with Shooter McGavin. Yeah, Tanya. Yeah, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, the poker set he would have for playing poker, uh, the works of Shakespeare, would be one of the five copies that were given to him by Captain Picard. <laughs> right. Um, which raises another interesting question about uh, gift giving and projection. In fact, mm-hmm. can, we, can we step aside just for a second? Can I, can I ask about that? Yeah. Why would Picard give the complete works of Shakespeare to Data? Um I have the complete works of Shakespeare on my iPhone. Mm. And I assume that my iPhone has less storage and processing power than data. You don't know that? I assume. (laughs) There's a pretty good chance that data already has the complete works of Shakespeare (laughs) stored and ingested, (laughs) along with all kinds of other stuff that Picard doesn't doesn't even know the language to read it in, right? Mm -hmm. But Picard gives him, you know, the complete works of Shakespeare. What's that about? Hmm. It's about well, it's about wanting data to be what he wants data to be. It's about, oh, he'll appreciate this. Well, no, because he doesn't appreciate anything, and you'll tell him that, and he'll tell you that. Except, of course, he does actually appreciate things, but we're going to keep pretending like we don't understand whether or not he has emotions, but he does. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right, All back right. to data. Okay. The painting and the violin uh, were used in his creative pursuits, and why those? Again, because he feels the desire for such pursuits, but again, we're going to leave out the whole thing, whether he feels or not, because the picture of Tashi Yar is the thing that proves that he has feeling. It has, it has, it serves no purpose. Mm-hmm. It's not part of it. Nobody gave it to him. It's not, well, maybe she gave it to him, but why did he ask for it? Unless yeah. she's projecting as well. Oh, by the way, we had sex, and I give these to everybody I have sex with. So here you go. <laughs> I got a case of them back there. Don't ask. Right. You know. So I mean, I don't. I mean, I, it, it seems to me his holding on to that that affectation, that 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 memory, that that connection that they have is the thing above anything else that proves that he has emotions in this. Hmm. Now, his feelings and his logic lead to an interesting question here. It seems to me. Is there a time when the needs of the many outweighing the needs of the few or the one means killing rather than self-sacrifice? Because in the end of this, I think what Data saw was this is going to keep going. Mm-hmm. This is never going to stop. I mean, it's not just the fact that Fajo said, I could kill that guy. I'll, I'll kill somebody else. I'll kill that guy. But as soon as he kills Varya, he says, eh, there's always another Varya. Yeah. This is not going to stop. And the thing, what Data said is, um, I can't let this continue. Right? And it doesn't feel like that was an emotional thing or anything. Now, I do think there is, I mean, there is, but I mean, we do still get some of Data's emotion (laughs) in the end when he basically lowers himself to Fajo's level and does come in to taunt him. He says he didn't come for an apology. He says he didn't come in to gloat. I just came to tell you that everything that you've always prized about your life is completely destroyed. Bye. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Somebody else couldn't have brought that message. <laughs> well, well, no, I, I agree. I mean that that is the scene that I find even more interesting than the idea that Data could or would pull the trigger because I think you can make the logical argument there. Right. Um, but that final confrontation. I mean, we have joked before about how Spock would play the "I don't have emotions" card whenever it benefited him. Yeah. And we've said similar things about Data. This moment is cold. This moment is especially because what he does is he comes back to not only tell Fajo that his life is destroyed, 
mm-hmm. his life's work or the thing that he prizes most or the things he prizes most are gone now. But he uses Fajot's own words back to him. Yeah. He throws yeah. what was intended to be an insult. Whether Data feels it as an insult or not, he throws what was intended to be an insult at Data back at Fajo to say, wow. And, and the best part is, I don't even feel it because yeah. I'm just this thing, right? Gotta go. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, he, he doesn't give Fajo the satisfaction. I mean, it is a far worse thing to be utterly indifferent towards someone else's condition than to even just be the bad guy for a moment who's taking pleasure in it. It robs Fajo of the right to be angry at Data. He's in a vacuum. But is Data playing that scene? And I think we're saying that he is. Is he twisting the knife a little further? And I think we're saying that he is. It seems like he is, yeah. Yeah. It seems like he is. Now, I do have another question. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's talk about Data's inherent respect for all life. That was yeah, the, that okay. was the term, I believe, isn't it? Inherent respect for all life. I find it interesting because all it seems to require is a pulse, right? Mm-hmm. When Fazio gives him the totally made-up story about how horrible his childhood was, Data takes zero time to decide and say, says, um, "Your past does not excuse unethical or immoral behavior, sir." And and mm-hmm. I I agree with that to an extent. Yeah. And, and yet yeah. I wonder, it, you know. I mean, should understanding not play in at all in the way a person is, right? I mean, Data's got an interesting dichotomy going on where he can say all life is sacred and past circumstance doesn't matter simultaneously, it seems to me. There was just something mm-hmm. – there's something, uh, well, binary yeah. <laughs> right, right. Ab- about yeah. that whole thing. Like, oh, no, life, life is important. You know, what happens during your life is not so important. But, you know, the fact that you get a pulse means I, I have to care. Right. Well, not care because I can't because I'm an <laughs> android. <laughs> it struck me as an interesting moment now of course we don't really have to dwell on that because it turns out that Fasha was lying about that and, and right. again another great turn by Saul Rubinek uh, right. turns on the waterworks like in half a second uh, and turns them off just as quickly it's like oh yeah but I made that whole thing up anyway my dad was a thief god that's good guess where I got it yeah <laughs> <laughs> kind of neat yeah yeah, that was so good. Hey, uh, a question for you, um, and I know the answer to this, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm throwing it out there for, for everybody's benefit to, to mull this over. So what do you think the writers and Brent Spiner's take on the scene with the disruptor was that whether he pulled the trigger or not, or that was a uh, um, a transporter issue? I guess you could technically say that it was left vague, but he pulled the trigger. They They left it vague in the edit. Mm-hmm. But the writer and Brent Spiner had decided absolutely he pulled the trigger. Because he absolutely did. Logic, yeah. I mean, it is logically yeah. the thing to do. Spock would have killed that guy. Mm-hmm. I think Spock absolutely would have killed that guy. And there's not necessarily any malice in it. And there's not necessarily any twisting the knife. It is, this guy is doing bad things. And he's building such a trap that this may be my one shot, not only for me to get out of it, which was also interesting. Data is that was, murder or self-defense? That I don't know that it's either. Is it yeah. murder or self defense? It's 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 stopping a a it's stopping a cycle of abuse. Honestly, it's 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 stopping a cycle of violence. Um, what's interesting to me is it really wasn't. I mean, all Data was concerned about was getting out. Maybe he didn't understand that Varia was captive as well. He certainly tried to plant that seed in her mind or tried to get her to understand that she was. But all yeah. Data was actually about was getting out. I don't think he even recognized the other people. He he did try to. What is it? The Varia said, "Is it part of your programming to find weaknesses in your uh, enemies?" Yeah. And Data says, "Yes." Are you my yeah. enemy? <laughs> right. I mean, it's an interesting. It's an interesting thing. I mean, it, like those two guys that he was beating beating up. Mm-hmm. He didn't say, "I know there's only two seats, but come on, there's room for all four of us. Let's go." <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> he's just right. like, "Oh, I got to hit you, and I got to hit you because I got to get out of here, and I got to take the girl now, I guess, because mm-hmm. she asked." I mean, they're all they're all in the same they're all in the same boat, but he's not doing anything about them, helping them all, which is interesting. Yeah. But I'm sorry, your original question was, did he pull the trigger? Yeah, I think he pulled the trigger. Whether it was an emotional thing or a logical thing, I mean, I, I don't guess there's any reason it couldn't be both. But we could go round and round and round about that. 
Yeah. Well, I think that's an interesting thing about this episode. I'm glad that you pointed out the psychology of what Data is doing with Varya because throughout the episode, it's really nice to see Data using psychology to his advantage. <laughs> it's like of all the things that he's particularly good at and understands about the human condition, he is terrific at having these conversations that are that are so pointed. By asking a question, are you my enemy? Yes, on the surface, he is gathering information. But he is also making her question her position, which it's, is great. It's reminiscent of the um, the Marla Astor uh, discussion. Mm, mm-hmm. How well mm-hmm. did you know her? Uh, we spent some time together. Not really at all. Yeah. Uh, how well did you know her? Why do you ask? You ask me. <laughs> so, no, no. Why do you ask? I mean, it's it, it's right. yeah. It's it's right. It, it sort of uh, through simple questions does make uh, makes people really consider uh, their position. I suppose. The Mona Lisa is not a toy. I think there's one thing that we left out in this whole discussion. What's that? Toph wins. He now has the most toys. He does? <laughs> Doesn't he? I, well, I guess He's so. a collector, yeah. the same as, uh, same as Fazio. Yeah. And Fazio was like, his collection's now disbanded, being you know, sent back to everybody that it originally belonged to. Yeah. So, uh, yay, Toph. <laughs> Get that thing out of your nose. And, and that other thing. <laughs> and that other thing. <laughs> the most toys, John. Uh, we have a bunch of questions that we ask this time of the show, like uh, what were the messages, what were the morals, does all that stuff stand the test of time? And, of course, does the episode hold up? Start with that one, if you will. Uh, does this episode hold up as far as you're concerned? Uh, I have to say absolutely yes, but but it doesn't hold up in the way that other next-gen episodes hold up, I think. This holds up in a creepy Twilight Zone, this android can kill you and feel no more remorse sort of way. Hmm. To me, this is payoff for all the discussions we've ever had about Data. There's so much more going on under that yellow skin than we know, and and this sort of brings it all to a head. So that, I thought, was fascinating. Now, if we use that bar that we sometimes use where if you sat somebody down and they've never seen Next Generation before and you said, here, watch this, would it be a good starter episode? Would it be something that holds up in that context? Probably not. Yeah. But I think as a character piece and and being introduced to this new and bizarre character and watching Data do his thing, I think it's just absolutely terrific. And, and again, the acting on both parts is great. Um, oh, by the way, uh, that scene in the brig, that final last scene, mm-hmm. uh, I, I actually, that's one of the scenes that they have with David Rappaport in the uh, in the Blu-ray. And I, I like the final version of this better uh, with Saul Rubinek than the version with David Rappaport. And it's not because of Fajo. It's not because of, you know, Rubinek versus Rappaport, but just the way it's shot. The camera lingers on Data longer after he delivers that line about how he has no feeling about it because he's an android. Mm-hmm. And just by letting the camera linger there a little longer, it makes it even darker and more twisted. <laughs> so um, so it, it's moments like that, that that I really appreciate about this episode. Um, what about you, sir? I think I like it more after our discussion. Initially, my thought was, if you like Saul Rubinak, then you'll love this episode. Um, he is great in this. Fangio is a fantastic character. I mean, a horrible character, but a fantastic character, I would imagine, to play. Mm-hmm. He is what Harry Mudd should have been, I think. Oh, yeah. Because Harry Mudd dissolves at the end of his two episodes. I can't remember how he did in the cartoon, but he dissolves at the end of his two episodes. And in, in the, uh, not I, Mudd, Mudd's Women. Mudd's Women. In Mudd's Women, he ends up, like, delivering the moral with Kirk while he's been the amoral jerk all the way through it, right? Mm-hmm. And then in nine months, of course, we, we we had a disastrous time with that. And I'm sure people are still typing emails about how much they hated, how much we hated I'm Um If we didn't have a queue, I would be more than happy to see Fajo as a foil uh, throughout this series. Again, played the way he's played by uh, Saul Rubinak. He's a despicable character, and it was a joy to watch him played. And so much else about this show is weak as far as I'm concerned. Um, like mm. Like the plot points. And the thing is, I'll usually let a plot point go or two plot points go. 
Mm-hmm. How does the Enterprise not know that there have been no geological events or instability before they arrive on whatever planet it was, right? There's a colony yeah. there. And I'm trying to figure out if it's a colony of Paclids because they don't, they, they don't even report. Uh, this is weird. There was no geological anything here. It just all of a sudden it's poison and mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's better. Um, I don't understand how the Enterprise, and thank you for mentioning it in the recap, how is the Enterprise only looking into Faggio after dealing with him? Right. How did they not like I run know. any yeah. sort of anything beforehand uh, about him? Is the Enterprise suddenly peopled by Paclids? was a question that I had. <laughs> um, Data says it's too bad that Faggio uses his uh, expertise for hucksterism and furthering his own greed. I say it's too bad he's not a criminal mastermind. Uh, he could have mm. taken over whole segments of the galaxy based on the water poisoning escapade. Um, I, I honestly, uh, he's an amazing character that this story does not do nearly enough justice, I don't think. I will say, though, I mean, there is stuff about this that I like. Uh, the shot of Data finally sitting in his chair is kind of amazing. Yeah. Just the shot. Yeah. He yeah. looks he looks lifeless even for him, but more than that, he looks defeated. Yeah. And it's it's the lighting, it's the lack of expression and movement. It's a fantastic shot. I'm trying to figure out why I think I don't maybe I was just in a bad mood all of the times I watched it. <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> because I think our discussion has been absolutely amazing and yet I, I have a hard time saying whether or not it holds up, honestly. Really? I I'm I'm gonna go ahead and say yes. I'm gonna go ahead and say yes, but I was I was dreading having this discussion honestly, and wow. and, and I don't wow. know why I don't know what it was that changed or what light uh, afflict on, but I, I think there's more depth to it. The more we talk about it, but then I don't know if we're doing that or if it did that. I, I like this episode more and more every time that I watched it because very often I feel like I, I watch it once and I kind of get trapped in. Uh, just the style and like, okay, well, the, the set maybe looks a little cheap here or mm-hmm. maybe it, like in his collection room, it's all very brightly lit. It kind of looks like a, a hotel lobby yeah. you know, with, the, with the big couch in the middle and all that. Um, but every time I would go back and rewatched it, I just got completely sucked in by the performances yeah. and, um, and liked it more and more and more. By the way, Data is completely enjoying all of those things when Fazio's not around. Don't tell oh, me. Totally. Don't tell me he doesn't have emotion. He's trying to figure out. <laughs> he's, he's trying to figure out the smile on the Giaconda. He's 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 feeding the little animal. Yep. He's smelling the bubblegum smell and smiling at it. I love that. Come on, dude. He feels that's, that's emotional. All right. So talk to me about messages. Well, okay. So I, I felt like if we tried to apply uh, a message or a moral to Kivas Fajo, I, I think we'd come up short. You know, don't steal, don't don't get obsessed with possessions. So what? <laughs> Someone who has already decided to make a criminal career out of that is probably beyond hope and is beyond the reach of our podcast. <laughs> you know, or, like, or hey, an episode hey. of Star Trek. Right, right, yeah. Like, hey, are you immoral? Uh, well, you should really get some morals, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, right. So I I don't think that's what this episode is really about, um, and, and I don't know that there is a really great moral in there, other than just the the letting us sit back and watch data and maybe mull over this idea: Are his decisions moral? Are they not? Is this murder? Is this self defense? What's going on here? It's about that character and about that psychology. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, well, I do have one question. Okay. Whether he decides logically or whether he decides emotionally, would it be fair to say that one of the messages might be that sometimes you actually do have to fight? Mm, okay. I might go with that. All right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that's not – I mean it's not, it's not the whole episode. Yeah. It's, not, it's not the point being driven all the way through it. This is not like you know an episode of Gunsmoke where, no, but I'm a pastor and I won't take up a gun. You know, in Act 1, yeah. Act 2, Act 3, and finally in Act 4, he goes ahead and picks up the gun. I mean, this is not like that. But, I mean, it is interesting. I mean, what what Data is taunted with is his respect for life. And this might even go to the question that I was asking earlier. When Data totally discounts um, Faggio's past, right, and says, mm-hmm. hey, look, the, your past does not excuse your behavior. I mean, Data does actually have to look at extenuating circumstances when he's sitting there with Faggio at the end of the phaser. Right. Yeah. I mean, I respect all life. This guy does not respect all life and more life could be lost if that guy is allowed to continue. So do I have to stop him? So is it a pro death penalty? (laughs) (laughs) 
episode. Well, that would be kind of weird to decide. But I mean, there's well, not death penalty, obviously. But I mean, is there something to the fact that in the end, data decides that he does have to do something where he had been, you know, committed to totally not doing anything. He'd totally been committed to passive resistance the whole time. Well, we've seen Star Trek kind of do that before, where where the, we say the mission is peace, this is peaceful, but sometimes we get backed into a corner and have to fight. Yeah. So Data is representing that idea in this episode, whereas Kirk or Picard or someone else has had to deal with that in previous episodes. Yes. And of course, don't be a jerk. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we like that. Too. Don't steal. You know, all don't, those things. Don't, don't, don't be a Fajo. Don't, don't be a Fajo. Unless you're Lolita Fajo, who's lovely, and, and you, you can be her. Just <laughs> I, don't be Kivas Fajo. You know, I hear good things about Lolita Fajo. Yeah, she's yeah. great. Yeah. Well, fantastic. <laughs> that message alone probably holds up. Yes, that holds up. And the other ones, too, of course. Uh, we should let people know that Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Find out more at roddenberry.com. Uh, for exciting Star Trek podcasts, be sure to, for more even exciting Star Trek podcasts, in addition to this one, uh, Trek FM. You can find that at trek.fm. For the latest in Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. And Ken, next week we are back. We're back with an old friend, Sarek. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. Despite the title, this episode contains precisely zero toys. I know. I counted. And transmission. <laughs> <laughs>